World Cup, anything can happen. Welcome to part two of our three-part series, and I am trying to figure out what soccer jersey I'm going to wear next time. Anybody have any idea what jersey this is? Just shout it out if you think you know it. It is Spain. I heard it from over here. It's a Spain jersey. We're going to uh, look at a couple of passages of Scripture this morning, then talk about a soccer story that may describe your life and, and at times describes mine as well. We're first going to go to the book of James, verses 19 through 20 in the first chapter. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Now let's go to Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Like I said, we're in week number two of our three-part series about the World Cup in which we have a soccer flair to the gospel that we hear each week. The World Cup is the biggest sporting event on the planet. Next Sunday will be, in fact, the championship game. It takes place every four years. Over 200 countries start competing. It goes down to the top 32 for the World Cup as they pursue the number one title. In fact, soccer in a lot of countries is, is kind of like religion, maybe like college football would be described here in the South. Now, uh, let me take you back to 1969. Honduras and El Salvador are two neighboring countries in Central America. The two nations have really peacefully coexisted for a long time. El Salvador is a tiny sliver of a country, but has a, a really large population. Honduras, right next to it, is a, a larger country, but a much smaller population. And so this really worked out well, as residents from El Salvador would frequently cross over the border into Honduras to find work. For the people in Honduras, this was great, because they had a workforce that was right out their front door. But tensions at times started to flare up. Tensions started to heat up. And on July 14th of 1969, World or war broke out between these two nations. More than 2,000 lives were lost and more than 130,000 people were left homeless. And while the war really only lasted a couple of days, it didn't seem like a big deal on the international scale of things, but the situation didn't quickly die down. In fact, it would be more than 10 years before airline service between the two nations would resume again. Now, there were a lot of political reasons for the infighting. There were a lot of economic reasons for the antagonistic attitude that they had towards one another. But the truth is, it all started when a little skirmish broke out and started to spread. And this little skirmish started because of a soccer game. A disputed goal in the soccer game between the two countries saw this built-up anger just start to pour out, leading to a full-fledged war. The war became known as the football war. Football, of course, the name for soccer. And it seems crazy, a war breaking out over, of all things, a soccer game. But it did. Now, we're reading out of the book of James this morning. 
are a lot of things that bring up the anger deep within us. Like we saw between Honduras and El Salvador, it was a soccer game that kind of set things off. But but what is it in your life that kind of sets you off? You see, a major part of James's letter is spent elaborating on this connection between sinful speech and selfish anger. And verse 119 is really a theme for the letter that he's writing. Everyone should be quick to listen, he writes, slow to speak and slow to become angry. Let me give you a little bit of a backdrop on the book of James because it really helps us better understand what he's talking about and to whom he's writing. See, James was the brother of Jesus, and he was the leader of the church in Jerusalem, and he wanted to expose the hypocrisy that was going on. You see, they would say great things about God, but their lives were no different than anyone else. They would say great things about their faith, but their lives were no different than anyone else. James talked about faith and he talked about deeds, not only claiming God with words, but he says that every aspect of our lives should be filled with the Spirit of God. Now, the economic conditions were rough to the the people to whom he was writing. The the Roman Empire was clamping down on Jerusalem, and the Roman Empire could simply come in and, and they could just grab up your land for no reason. Others were maybe offended by the high taxes that they had to pay to the Romans. There were grain shortages that caused riots, and there was a great deal of resentment towards the wealthy aristocrats. Many zealots, in fact, turned to violence. James talks a lot about that as well, saying don't, don't, don't go to violence, don't go that route. And so James is writing to, to the early Christian church. They were caught up in all of this social tension. He warns the rich about having arrogance and pride. He makes sure that they don't oppress the poor, that they don't persecute those around them. And he talks about the social justice and the social inequities that he sees around them. But he also focuses on those who might be about to resort to violence. He says that many Christian zealots wanted to violently overthrow the Romans. And he says, no, we don't want to go that route either. He urges the oppressed to keep the faith and keep their eyes on Jesus. So when James talks about controlling our anger, he's not merely talking about someone who cut us off in traffic or, or a spouse who said something that rubbed us the, 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 the wrong way. He's, he's talking about people who are facing these real-life social tensions. And as a, a pastor, I'll be honest with you, I've, I've never seen a war over a soccer game. But, but I have seen friendships erode over pretty silly things. Anger rears its ugly head in a lot of different ways at a lot of different times. And things said in ruin a relationship. There was a young man who had trouble with his temper, and his father would always threaten to, 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 to punish him whenever he would lash out in anger towards his younger sister. And his father said, okay, here's what we're going to do, son. There's a a, a nice white picket fence that is the the pride and joy of your mother in our backyard. And when this young man would feel like he's about to lose his temper, which was quite often, he would go back to this white picket fence with his hammer, and he would pick up a nail that his dad had laid out there, and he would just hammer the nail into the picket of the fence. 
Now, after several months of doing this, the the boy wondered if this really had any sort of impact. He wondered about the parable that his dad was trying to to teach him. His anger did kind of calm down as he grew older. And he wondered why his dad had him do this. So his father had him go to the fence, and he had him pull out each of the nails. So no longer were the nails protruding into the wood. No longer were the nails damaging the wood. But it took a while for the boy to see what was going on. You see, with each nail that he would pull out, the pretty white pickets would have these nasty-looking holes in them. His father said, son, you can't take back what you say in anger. It's going to leave a scar. It's going to leave a bruise. It could leave a sting. Maybe this morning you're, you're angry with someone or maybe someone said something that had a little sting towards the way they were talking to you or, or maybe you're carrying around some, some unforgiveness or there's something inside you that just kind of riles you up, something that really, really makes you angry. Maybe we're angry with ourselves. I'm, I'm the chief sinner when it comes to this. We're, we're, we're marred by regret. If only I'd been a better husband at this time, or if only I'd been a better father to my kids at that time, if only I'd been a better friend during this time. I share this story with you out of total honesty. I'm not proud of it. My intentions were not exactly godly, but I was able to learn from it. It's a a true story, sad to say. Years ago, it was during my first job in ministry, I was a youth pastor at a church in Augusta. I was single at that time, and I decided that I wanted to change that status. So I knew that there was a a good church just across the river that had a really good young singles ministry. On Tuesday nights, that was when all the young people would meet for this Bible study, and I heard that it was a a great singles ministry. I I knew it was going to be a great opportunity not to to dig into the Word of God, not to grow in my faith, but to try to meet the girl of my dreams. So this huge church, I even got lost in the parking lot as I was going in. I saw a lot of people entering this double door that went into like a a fellowship hall. And and my goal that evening, like I said, was not to dig deeper into Scripture. It wasn't to worship, but it was to date. Like I said, I'm not really the hero of most of my stories. There There was actually a line to get in. There was a big burly man who was standing at the front door. He was literally hugging every person as they walked in. And he had on a, a bright blue t-shirt and airbrushed on the front of the shirt, it said, Foxy Man. <laughs> Foxy Man wasn't letting anyone get into the building without first getting a big massive hug from him. So as I inched closer to the door, there was a large group of young women in front of me, and as they were about to enter, I was able to to sneak on in kind of behind them, going into this large building about twice the size of this chapel. It was their, their fellowship hall, and there were hundreds of chairs that were set up in kind of this auditorium like setting with a beautiful view up front, and there was a massive big, just a just not a stained glass, just a big 
pane of glass, just a big window. It really just overlooked the parking lot. It wasn't anything spectacular by any stretch of the imagination, but there was a, a beautiful altar in front of it. And I felt a bit awkward because there was a big crowd, seemingly everyone in their 20s and early 30s, and about 300 people in all were in this room. I, I felt alone because I was kind of by myself, and my, my eyes darted across the room. I was trying to look for her. I didn't see her. So you know what I did? I decided to leave. I was going to get out of here. Then the band started to play and people all stood up. People were clapping and people were singing and they were starting to worship and then their speaker would come on for a, a Bible study. But I was kind of bummed. The idea of meeting the girl of my dreams had just disintegrated before my eyes. So I wanted to sulk and I wanted to get out of Dodge. There was only one problem. I had to get past Foxy Man. <laughs> he was standing by the door like a prison guard looking for an inmate trying to escape really wasn't that bad, but at the time it felt like that. How was I going to escape? Now, now towards the back, towards my left, there was a, a lone door. It led to a small hallway, and I figured that maybe there I could find my route of escape. So I went down the, the, the hallway, and there was nothing there except another door that led to a flight of stairs. So, so I went up the flight of stairs. I could hear the music reverberating thump, thump, thump right below my feet. And as I strolled through the hallways, I was trying to figure out how in the world I'm going to get out of this place. But there was a door at the end of the hallway and a little small square window in the center of the door. And I looked outside and I could see the parking lot and I could see a small metal balcony that was right outside the door. So I pushed open the door, wondering if alarms were going to sound. They, they, they didn't, so I'm, I'm right off the bat. I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay. And so I gazed down at the asphalt below, and I had an interesting thought. There were no stairs leading from the balcony. There was the door behind me, but that's how I came out in the first place. What was I going to do? Hmm. Maybe I could lower myself down the balcony onto the pavement below, using my massive upper body strength. That's not funny. That wasn't supposed to be funny. What other option did I have? I, I could go back in the way I came, but that only led me to this place in the first place. So, so I climbed over the, the big metal black railing. I looked down, and it was a long drop. But I kind of went for it. Suddenly, it didn't seem like a good idea as I lowered myself down. My feet were dangling, and I was holding on for dear life. I couldn't do it any longer. My arms were giving way. My grip was slipping. What was I going to do? So I just let go and thought I hit the pavement below. I'd been dangling for what seemed like eternity. I hit the ground and I look towards the parking lot and I can see my car way off in the distance. Thank goodness this is finally over. I stood up and I looked at the massive MacGyver-like feat that I had just accomplished. 
And then I looked straight ahead at that plane, that pane of window that was going right into the sanctuary. <laughs> True story. The whole time people were watching the pastor seeing these legs dangling around and then some dork with a Bible thumped to the ground. Not one of my proudest moments, but one my kids love to hear. I was angry at myself for, for wanting to leave in the first place. Maybe God had a message for me that day or... Maybe there were friends that God intended for me to make in that place, but instead I, I went out. Anger can do stuff like that, you know. Anger can rob us of a lot of things. Anger can rob us of a lot of opportunities. Up here we have these little foam soccer balls. You can't necessarily see them from where you're sitting, but down each aisle there's a, a small duffel bag, and there are these little balls. They're kind of like stress balls, but they're, they're soccer balls. They're fun to hold on to in meetings or, or throw at one of your friends or, or something like that. During our closing song this morning, I'm going to invite you, if you want, to, to come down and pick up a soccer ball, maybe take an extra one. We've got plenty of them. Take one for a friend or family member who may not be here. It, it's a visible, it's a tangible, it's a symbolic reminder that we are a part of God's team, that God has something in store for you and for me that is incredible. As we say in the World Cup, anything can happen, and in your life and in my life, anything can happen when we allow Christ to play the central role, the team captain of where we're going, of where we're headed. And I pray that this soccer ball can be a, a reminder that, that God has amazing things in store for your life. I, I think our, our hearts at times are, are, are kind of like sponges. If you were to squeeze a sponge, red ink comes out. It might seem like the, the squeezing is causing that red ink. But it wasn't the squeeze that caused the ink to seep out. To the contrary, the, 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 the red ink was already in the sponge. And the sponge merely exposed what was already there. People and circumstances can make us angry. But very often, it's not the people or the circumstances that really cause that anger. They simply expose what's already there. Sometimes it comes out in anger. Scripture speaks a lot about anger because that's one of the ways in which we get tripped up in our Christian lives. One of the ways in which the enemy loves to pull us down or drag us back. When Catherine, my wife, and I are having some, let's say some heated fellowship, we have to remember the, the words of Ephesians. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. There's nothing wrong with anger. The scripture talks about that. Jesus got angry, but his anger was righteous. It was just, and it was for the right reasons at the right time. But Paul in Ephesians says, in your anger, when you're in that place, don't let your anger fester. Don't let it drive an even bigger wedge between you and that other person. 
truly words to live by. Because each day you and I are involved in a, a battle. The scripture talks about the battle between flesh and spirit. Our, our flesh is merely that. It's our body. The, the Greek word for flesh literally means the physical body. We can pursue the whims and the desires of our flesh or we can choose the goals of the Holy Spirit. We can respond in our flesh or we can respond to the Spirit of God. Is it our agenda or our desire causing things to bubble up to the surface? Or is it the ways in which God is calling us to respond to a particular situation? Our flesh says, hold on to a grudge against someone who hurts you. But Jesus says, with God's help, we have the supernatural power to forgive. Our flesh says to, to treat people like they've treated us. But, but Jesus says that with the power of the Holy Spirit, we can love those who seem so unlovable. Our flesh says that yesterday dictates our tomorrow. But the scripture says that we're offered a fresh start and a new beginning. And that's the good news of the gospel. The word gospel literally in Greek means the good news. That regardless of where we've been or what we've done, that God forgives us through our faith in Christ. We're offered the gift of God's radical love. And friends, I pray that each of us can be blessed to live in such a way that points to the good news of Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Dear loving and forgiving God, we come to you as people who have been at times hurt or mistreated. Maybe we've let our anger get the better of us and we've done things in anger that we should not have done. Lord, when we find ourselves getting angry, I pray that it's a righteous anger. It's caused by injustice and suffering and not because we aren't getting our own way. Lord, provide us with the strength to forgive those who have hurt us. With those with whom we find ourselves in conflict. And when we are dealing with conflict, Father, I pray that we can serve as a Christ-like example of how to handle disagreement. Lord, help us to, to turn to you when we do find ourselves at the end of our rope. May we turn away from our response in the flesh, instead turning toward the Spirit. Have us cling to your word, Lord, in all that we do, in all that we say, in all that we respond. Lord, make us more and more like Jesus, perhaps with our own anger and rage or bitterness and resentment or unforgiveness. Let it begin today. Allow us to to notice the transformation that you're doing in our lives so that we can live out of your strength instead of our own. In all we do, Lord, may we walk in your light. May we love like you love, forgive like you forgive, and offer hope the way that you do. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. During our last song, we invite you to come down and
Take a soccer ball, let it be a, a tangible reminder of our need to forgive or our need to relinquish that anger that we carry around or just as a, a symbolic reminder that God is always with us. There are also people here who are willing to pray for you if you'd like to receive prayer and you can see up on the screen different ways to respond as we give to God. But I pray that we can realize the fact that we can't do it on our own, that God loves you. You might as well get used to it.